Just a quick heads up, in this episode we spoil uh, Kingdom Hearts up through Birth by Sleep and the entirety of Twin Peaks, including The Return. Well, what do we have here? You must be a new arrival. Let me guess, fate of the undead. Welcome to Idle Talk, the chill conversational podcast about reading, watching, and playing in a broken and absurd world. I'm Grace, and I'm joined by Cole. <laughs> wow, this is really good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Oh, yeah. Joining us is friend of the show, expert audio hot singles, and then Aeroplay co-host and video game hater, Autumn Blake. God, I hate video games so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're, uh, you know, I have a, a complicated love affair, so... Um, I, I understand both sides. Um, I feel more and more indifferent to them as each day passes. Yeah. That's where I'm trying to be at because I, I finished Metroid Prime today and I was like, oh, maybe video games are good, but I'm trying to be disciplined and remember video games. Yeah. Well, you, all you have to do is wait for in order to start Mass Effect Three, and then you'll be. Yeah. God. Every t- every time every time you think you're playing a good game, there's always a Neil Druckmann just behind. He's creeping. He's out there waiting for us. <laughs> uh, He's creeping up behind you to tell you about his. I'm, uh, I'm just pic- <laughs> I'm just picturing the scene in like Night of the Hunter where they're hiding in the barn and um the oh, is going God. by on the horse and it's put it's new and he's he's whistling uh, uh the aha song that's in Last of Us too. Oh, uh, take on me, the classic. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they say they're going to remake Night of the Hunter? Uh, there was some, like, uh, thing about it. I don't know if there was uh, any definitive... Um, that's, I, I, don't, I don't want that. I can't imagine why you do that, just because I can't imagine really anybody who in 2020 is like, yeah, what I want is a remake of Night of the Hunter. You either don't <laughs> you either don't know what it is, or you very much don't want that to yeah, happen. Yeah, well, I could see someone doing, like... Like, you could do a Night of the Hunter, but it's like a... I don't know, like a charismatic politician or something, like you change it up, and maybe you don't even call it Night of the Hunter, right? It's just like, it's a spiritual successor. Yeah. (laughs) Night of of the Hunter 2, the hunter begins. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) His hand coming out of the grave. Actually, I don't know, does he, I mean, we we don't need to spoil Night of the Hunter. That's a great movie, by the way, if y'all haven't seen that. It's good. It's maybe like top 10 best movies that exists like yeah it's good i think one of our friends suggested that a night of the hunter remake that's about like a twitch streamer could be really good i feel like m suggested this i thought that was i thought that was m but i didn't want to say it was m and then it turned out to be jackson (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, i'm pretty i'm pretty sure it was m which is a good enough idea that they'll never do it yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, I mean, yeah, like, the thing is, like, you could see, you know, I mean, Dr. Disrespect could absolutely pull some of the stuff that happens in Night of the Hunter, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's cursed. There's, there's, yeah. there's, just, there's just a streamer at the top of the basement steps asking where his claps are at. <laughs> but I feel like my Amazon it, bucks, kids. What, <laughs> Whatever the whatever the remake is, that has to have that deep voice, so it's like, where is my tri- Twitch Prime? Whatever the fuck. <laughs> uh, okay, what if you did 
the Spike Lee NBA 2K game, but also it was a remake of Night of the Hunter. Uh, that maybe then that's something. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> how does the plot of the Spike Lee NBA 2K game? Someone oh, dies. I, in I just. Uh, I just watched the video, I think, when um, that announced of the love and hate speech, but in Do the Right Thing. And so I was trying to come up with a Spike Lee joke, and that's as far as I got. (laughs) No, fair enough. Um, I mean, you know, since that would be more ambitious and strange than most of what AAA games produce, so, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's for sure. I should maybe watch, like, a long play of that Spike Lee. It's something. I watched a a friend play some of it, like, during my freshman year of college. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I had a roommate who had it, had that 2K, and, uh, I saw a couple bits of it, I think. I don't, I don't think I've played that 2K. I've dipped my toe into 2K, like, the last three years in a row, because I want to like those games as a big basketball person, but they're, like, fucking impenetrable to me. They're, like, worse than fighting games. They're, like, generally, like otherworldly in that like now it's like a hub game where it's like you're in like the basketball town yeah it's like dribble everywhere and you go to the basketball vendors yeah and there, there's something weird where now the nba bubble in the real world orlando it's like theme, is, it's like themed after the game right yeah i something like that i didn't read this because i i didn't play 2k last year though i might See, this I think is it's free on ps plus right now this is the real um Hideo Kojima predicted the apocalypse. Oh, <laughs> Stop. <God. laughs> it's the, uh, the NBA 2K <laughs> formatting. Oh, that's wild. Anyway. <laughs> so as you um, all know, we're here to talk about Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> yeah, we're here to talk about Kingdom Hearts. Um, you know, and uh, I think, I think, I mean, Autumn and I, I think have pretty similar relationships um, mm-hmm. Or at least I, I mean, I do newly because I'm playing these games for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask, and you, we discussed this in the group chat just a little bit, but I wanted to ask you, like, where are you at in your Kingdom Hearts journey? I finished episode two of Idle Talk, and I want to make sure that I'm, like, up to date on where yeah. you're at. So I'm in the middle of the Aqua playthrough of Birth by Sleep, and okay. I've done the um, Terra and Ventus stuff. Okay. So you've done all my favorite stuff in that game, I think. Um, yeah, uh, Aqua's plot so far is I am girl. So, <laughs> she is girl. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I'm not going to deny it. Uh, the first two characters but, uh, are Anakin Skywalker, and the third character is girl. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, oh. Ventus is also kind of Dale Cooper, I guess. Okay. Walk this <laughs> because I, I've, I want to go with you on this journey to Ventus is Dale Cooper, but I. No, wait, no, I got there. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just took a second. I had to remember the return exists, and then we're yes, done. yes, that is an important context for. I say that like I don't love the return. I love the yeah. return. Um. It's good stuff. Uh, well, we don't want to skip too far ahead here. Um, so I was thinking we could try and, um, I mean, try and summarize the the metaphysics of Kingdom Hearts to Cole. Who is, okay. Um, I played the com- my relationship with the series is I played the Tarzan level like six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. quite. I mean, I also have I have the wiki, I have the wiki pulled up as well, and I can see words like, um, Trinity archives. 
Oh, yeah. Um, what else? I'm Googling see... Trinity Archives now because I don't remember what those are. I can see characters with names like Young Xenohort. Under Antagonist, there's someone named Pete. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pete, well, Pete's from Disney. You know, it's, uh, it's, the, it's Mickey Mouse's nemesis cat, Pete. I can't... One of my friends tweeted last year um, that the the zipper... If, if you all look at Pete's outfit in Kingdom Hearts, the zipper grows right over his gooch. <laughs> and whenever I think about Pete, the Disney Googling character, now. I now think... Is that true on the Captain zipper. Justice costume, too? Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, probably see. not. I think that's just... Yeah, so for context... Uh, yeah, Pete's got to unzip to unload. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's a bad place to put a zipper, I think. Oh, God. I'm looking at a Funko Pop of it. Oh, no. No. Who would buy a Funko Pop of Kingdom Hearts Pete? Um, dropping this image in Discord right now. Okay, no. thank God. Oh, shit. I... I'm filled with dread anticipation. <laughs> I wanted to like vamp a little bit, and uh, I, my entire brain was consumed by <laughs> waiting to see this Funko Pop. Ah! <laughs> no! no! The soulless oh, eyes. Oh. The face is everything about the face is really bad. Yeah, well, it's like Pete already looks like a dog, kind of like it's a cat. But I think, and this I think is I'm not... reaching here, but his red shirt with the blue stripes on either side has a resem- has a pretty stark resemblance to a certain flag. Oh, no! Oh, no! I don't- I don't think it looks quite like that in the video game. <laughs> but, maybe. Yeah, the, the Funko makes it look worse, but now I, I do see it on the model, yeah. and I've never seen it before, and oh, it's- I'm having, like, <sighs> vivid flashbacks to, like, the Western-themed restaurant and bar that I walked by in Germany a couple times that just had a Confederate flag outside. <laughs> in Germany? In Germany, yeah. Well, it's, uh, like, okay, there there might be connections between, like, white supremacy in Germany and, like, the Confederacy. I don't know mm. that there is. I think people in Germany just don't know so they just wanted to have a, like, Western-themed restaurant? And yeah, just... and they're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, I don't think they know that how offensive that is, right? Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that, I'm not saying, like, and therefore it's fine for them to do that, <laughs> right? But I think I think it is more out of ignorance than, like, trying to, like, not Ooh. signal Nazi shit. But it might be that. <laughs> like, I just don't know. What is, what's what's Pete from? He's a, he's a... He's Mickey Mouse. He's a he's... Mickey Mouse thing? Okay, because... Yeah. Yeah, I think he's in, like, Steamboat Willie. Yeah, thing. he is. Mm-hmm. He's, like, okay. Mickey's boss in that, I think. Because um, um, I found another... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, this one's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, the, the there's a bunch of, is like... Lion King Pete? Yes, it's Lion King Pete. Because, like, so okay. in Kingdom Hearts 2, Pete's going around all the worlds causing trouble. Um, there's so many bad Pete toys. So there's, there's a bad... Uh, there's a Tron Pete, too, um, I think. Oh, is there a Tron Pete? Okay, so I I want to briefly talk about my history with Kingdom Hearts, which is that oh I played my. one and two when they were new when I was a baby. That's ugly. This toy is That's ugly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, gotta be the image. Yeah, no. Um, the the 
as as we all know, like Kingdom Hearts went to handheld titles for a very long time mm-hmm. that I couldn't play, wasn't interested in playing, um, and I kind of hit this phase of boyhood where I I didn't want to be like playing the anime game because I was too cultured for the anime game or something. I don't know. Um, and then in the eight months leading up to Kingdom Hearts three. Um, Nora, my partner, started getting really into it, and so I started getting back into it and like rediscovering my love. So I have not, um, I have not played a lot of these games, but I have watched every single one in like in movie form on YouTube, uh, and I have I haven't played any of them since two. So like, I've I and I I don't think I've played two since I don't know two thousand seven or something. So I just totally forget everything in two, except for the intro, like the 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 prologue with Roxas, and the last couple areas with like the good Riku Sora content. Every Disney part of these games is a blur to me, not real to me. Don't remember it. Yo, it's because nothing happens in those areas. Nothing happens. That's actually, you know, Birth by Sleep is a little bit better with this actually. Um, but. Yeah, uh, I did actually. When I was getting back into them, I played the Terra playthrough of Birth by Sleep, and then I switched over to watching the games. But Birth uh, Birth by Sleep, I think, does a little better with this. The Terra stuff, the Terra stuff, especially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, I played them somewhat recently, so they're all kind of in my head. I think that also like uh, explains why you like Kingdom Hearts two so much is that you haven't played it <laughs> in uh, yeah you know, <laughs> in like twelve years. <laughs> uh, There's. There is a quote uh, from early in the Gabriel Garcia Marquez book, uh, Love in the Time of Cholera, that I think about like almost every day, uh, that the heart's memory eliminates the bad and keeps the good. And that's how that's my relationship to Kingdom Hearts 2, is that I just don't remember <laughs> all the bad parts of Kingdom Hearts 2. I remember the stuff that uh, Yeah, and the, to be fair, there's some stuff that's really fucking cool in Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, yeah, that... Uh, so I guess, I guess we can kind of segue this... Um, so, Autumn and I, I think, are really interested in uh, kind of sort of the queer elements of Kingdom Hearts. And to be clear, this is not, like, textual. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. all, like, a subtext. And I think this is particularly centered around, like, the way Kingdom Hearts is really interested in, in bodies that get separated, split in two, like, identities that are sort of multifaceted and, and fractured. And that mm-hmm. ends up, I think, like, stumbling into some stuff that feels really resonant. Um and this is sort of the opening of Kingdom Hearts 2 is, like, about uh, Roxas. So, okay, I guess we should explain, like... Well, let's explain who Roxas is. Let's explain, who, yeah, what, like, what a nobody is and all this all this stuff. Cole, do you know what a nobody is? Uh, no. There are nobodies a little, like, they're, like, little... Like charcoal dudes. Those are the heartless. Those are the heartless. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, then, no, I have no idea. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll try to take a, a run at this because I, I think like as I talk, the Kingdom Hearts lore will return to me. So, <laughs> um, um, in Kingdom Hearts one, you're introduced to heartless, which are like, um, hearts that have been separated from their bodies, um, or like hearts that have been consumed by darkness. Uh, and in Kingdom Hearts 2, they introduce nobodies, which are, for particularly strong-willed people, they get nobodies with, where their body um, becomes, like, 
its own being, like you have a heartless and a nobody, which are two separate beings, and the nobodies uh, don't have hearts. It's very confusing, because the, the hearts, the heartless are hearts without bodies, and the nobodies are bodies without hearts. <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very... Um, I think it is funny when people... Because, like, I think the, the, like, the thematics of Kingdom Hearts are really simple. Like, Kingdom Hearts is light. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> but the metaphysics of it are, are very complicated, and it's very weird when people say, no, it's actually pretty simple, because the game constantly comments in lampshades that it's, like, weird and complicated. Like, it's it makes jokes about it, right? And so, um, toward the end of Kingdom Hearts 1, um, Sora, to in order to recover the girl who is tra- trapped inside of his heart, uh, removes his heart from his body, briefly becoming a heartless, um, and in doing so creates a nobody, Roxas, who looks like a different person because also there is another boy trapped inside of Sora's heart. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, that's explained in in Birth by Sleep. This is actually something I want to talk about with you is, like, the weird... Anyway, uh, we'll we'll get there. But, like, the weird thing that, like, nobodies are basically the same as their counterparts except for Sora is, like, a thing, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um... (laughs) So Roxas is, like... Sora's body, but it's a different body because there's a different person inside of Sora. Um, (laughs) Roxas is this other person who emerges from this choice that Sora makes, uh, and and Roxas emerges into the world like without memory. In 358 over two days, we see Roxas in this state where like he, at first he can't really, um, speak he can't like form coherent memories or thoughts and, and gradually over the course of that game we see like Roxas's development into like a person with his own history uh that is like doesn't <clears throat> Roxas's sense of selfhood is not based in anything to do with Sora yeah um and th- the thing that is so resonant to me about Roxas's story, which we see in 358 over two days, and then um, we're actually, which is a prequel to Kingdom Hearts 2 that came out after Kingdom Hearts 2. Yes. <laughs> um, and we're, we were first introduced to him in Kingdom Hearts 2, the prologue, where he's once again had his memories wiped, uh, and there's this long drawn out contest between different factions about like trying to define who Roxas is and trying to force him into like a new personhood that is being Sora. Yeah. And so there's a queer read to me of like I have my own life, I have my own like sense of selfhood, but then when I interact with other people, they only are identifying me in this other way. They're only, um, like, literally, like, doing violence to Roxas, like, wiping his memories, like, beating the hell out of him uh, to try and force him to be this other person. Um, and all of this is very queer and very accidental, yeah. I think. <laughs> Um, well, me, I think the thing that strikes me so much is, like, so those, the the first little bit of Kingdom Hearts 2 is, like, this kind of school days. It's, like, the last seven days of summer vacation. 
And so you do these like routines where you're like hanging out with your buddies and like doing, and then, gra- you know, gradually like things um, get weirder, right? The world's, and you're in this like simulation of a town, it turns out, right? Like you're not actually in this place. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, there's all this like sort of digital distortion that pops up, like Sora, I mean, Roxas uh, finds himself in these situations where, um, the world seems to be like breaking at the seams and he's like the only one who's really able to interact with it or see it right um, except for like Namine I guess which is also a whole can of worms um, I don't even really have a good grasp on Namine's yeah deal. well so, so <laughs> I think she's so she's the, the girl who Sora saved in Kingdom Hearts 1 Kairi it's her nobody I think right yes but she is a witch. She's and a witch. This is explained somewhere, but I don't remember. She's a where. witch who can manipulate memories, and so she's putting Sora back together. Right? Is the. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's also sort of the only person who like understands what Roxas is feeling and experiencing, right? And is like empathetic yeah. to it. Um, you know, because and this is like one of the I mean the the things that's really weird about Kingdom Hearts Two is like nobody's, all the villains are nobodies in Kingdom Hearts Two, and there's sort of this thing where they're like they're not people. You're supposed to just, you know, like, we have to kill them and, like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to stop them from, like, killing the world. But, like, Roxas is very much established as, like, his own person with his own identity. Um, right. Right. So, there's there's two interesting things going on in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is, one, um, Naminé is doing her witch memory magic stuff to to reconstruct uh sora which she in in chain of memories the interpol between one and two um sora or Namine like deconstructs sora by taking away all his memories and um in, in the beginning of two she is now trying to reconstruct sora by bringing all his his memories back Part of that is uh, incorporating Roxas into Sora so that like he can get like all of these memories put together, and so in Kingdom Hearts, like um, it's established that like your personhood, your um, and like personhood is like a, an actual like object in the world, which is having yeah. a heart. <laughs> but also, heart is, like, soul, right? Like, it's not, like, it's not like Sora's pulling out his, like, bleeding, beating heart, right? It's, like, this metaphysical yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, like, um, yeah, so, the, like, your, your, your ability to be a person is defined by an object in the world, and nobody's don't have that object, so they're not people, but, but Namine is pretty clearly establishing that having memories and having connections to other people. The thing that makes Sora a, a, a person is his connections to Kairi, to Riku, and to all his uh, myriad Disney friends that he yes. made. Um, and so the the late game twist in Kingdom Hearts 2 is Xemnas saying, um, of course the nobodies have hearts, because they've been like, or, or at least um, the members of Organization 13 have actually been developing hearts of their own independent of the people that they were before. And Roxas has developed a heart despite not having a heart to begin with. Um, And here's the other, like, huge uh, queer element for me is that, like, there is literally 
a, a evil villain who is conspiring to tell all these people that actually they do not have personhood because they don't fit his rigid definition of personhood. Jeez. Um, uh, and like, there are all sorts of people who get to have lives that are complicated and connected that are not connected to identities that they had before that, but then other people just get to tell them, no, you, the, you, those connections that you have are not valid, are not real, because the connections that you're allowed to have only fit into can only fit into the the self that you right. And, and I think this is something that I think is um, like I think it's it's uh, easy to read the beginning of open the opening Kingdom Hearts two is like a queer tragedy, and in in some ways it is, but I think there's also this sense that like um, like Roxas continues to exist right beyond sort of the the borders mm -hmm. of Sora's body and that like um i think is a really like there's these these very good moments where like so, you know Sora fights Roxas right and they have these like tensions between each other right yeah. and there's this sort of sense of like um like it, it's both inner and external conflict and the way it blurs those lines i think feels like um queer to me because i i think something about like being um in the world like being trans is that i mean not necessarily everywhere like in every time but like right now in the usa it's like difficult to mm. change your name and to like make all these sort of accommodations to like make society recognize you as who you are right um but at the same time the fact that you have to make those accommodations mm -hmm. doesn't make you less what you are right there's this both this like extra this internal reckoning with like no, I am this, this is what I'm choosing to be, and this is what I am, and also this, like, external problem with, like, the, the outside world. And I think there's, I mean, again, I think unintentionally, right, there's this um, dynamic in Kingdom Hearts that's about that kind of conflict. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You go, Paul, you go, because um, I've been talking for a while. <laughs> sorry, no. I don't, no, I don't really have anything of substance to add, but is, um, is Walt Disney a villain in the series? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Only in the metatextual sense of Walt Disney has consolidated, like Walt Disney's company has consolidated all media around Walt Disney, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, um, what's well, weird, because like Disney, this is like a weird Kingdom Hearts thing, but just like Disney is a thing, like there's like Disney Castle and there's like Disney Town and stuff, but like nobody, nobody talks about who Disney is, right? Like that's right. not... Like it's not important, right? So it is, there is like a proper noun Disney, but it's like it's contextless in the in the universe right only we know what mm -hmm. disney is well you know and the very weird thing about um because disney wants to like protect the brand does not want the brand to be um portrayed in certain sorts of ways uh whenever sora goes to a disney world there is a disney plot happening and there is a kingdom hearts plot happening and like until Kingdom Hearts 3, like, the two things never touch each other. Like, like I can't think, until Kingdom Hearts 3, and I won't spoil stuff, I can't think of a time that a Disney character speaks to a Kingdom Hearts character. Or, like, Weird. like the, the there are two very discreet, like, modes of being inside the yeah. world that no one really acknowledges. Right, well, I think there is a little, I mean, if I remember right, there's like the Organization 13 member who's like tempting Beast and stuff. 
to like be evil yeah so there's sort of like but i think that's generally true that like the world is separate and even when they're connected the like it's used to explain stuff that's in the movie right like with the with the right. tarzan thing it's like oh the the hunter yeah, guy the, the hunter was like yeah. possessed by darkness and that's why he was evil right but it's like it's the same thing happens that happens in the movie basically except at the end you fight him riding yeah. a giant chameleon heartless <laughs> That chameleon boss fight fucking sucks, by the way. Kingdom Hearts 1 is a bad video game. Like, there's... It's a bad video game. Um, Also, for the longest time, I was convinced Harry Potter was in Kingdom Hearts. I don't know how I tied those two things together, but... There was was a phase where... um, I really could not wrap my head around, like the lego games and whatever licensing stuff has to yeah. go into the lego games so i think i also went through a phase of thinking that uh harry potter was a disney property i always knew that it was not in kingdom hearts but i thought for a while that it was a like well i think um uh, yeah i mean not to get to hop on the turf train here but uh i think <laughs> Roy was in talks with um disney to do the park with them um and then with universal instead i think yeah that sounds right that sounds right there might be some, oh. you know, stuff there. And yeah, it, 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 I mean, it gets weird because you've got like, you know, I mean, there's like the Jurassic Park Lego game and the uh, yeah, Indiana Jones and the... There's Lord of the Rings one. There's Lord of the Rings yeah, one. Yeah, because there's yeah. both a, a Avengers Lego game and a DC, DC Lego yeah. game. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I don't fucking yeah. understand that at all. I don't, I, I don't know what Black Magic, like, the Lego people do to get the licenses that they do other than sell a shit ton of toys. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I don't know either because it's like man, Legos are so expensive They're now. They're so expensive. And they I mean, I think they were always like I remember as a kid like them being like expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um or like certain, but it's just like it feels like unaffordable to me now. Mm-hmm. Like I look at like a a mid-size set and it's like that's I could buy like like three video games for this price or whatever right yeah Yeah. i I was never into lego as a kid but i also definitely remember like oh when i was a kid there was like the lego star wars game and there were like a couple lego star wars sets uh and then if you really wanted to go all out there was like a big star destroyer you could build Mm -hmm. and then when i wasn't paying attention like the big star destroyer that you could build became the only thing that they sold you know <laughs> yeah yeah it does it does feel like that uh for sure the only legos i ever had as a kid though were like my dad just bought like a, a box with 1200 legos of various colors and shapes oh you yeah know? So that's i got i got really into the star wars legos around revenge of the sith i was like oh, getting yeah. those for christmas and my birthday and whatnot the golden age of star wars <laughs> <laughs> There is, there is a certain like moment in Star Wars video games that I really miss. That's definitely yeah. centered around the first two Lego Star Wars video games. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's like um, a whole like period of like five or six years where like Star Wars was at its sort of peak for me. It's probably just looking like through the a lens of nostalgia. But like there was like a forum era between like '03 and '06 where things like just everything sort of clicked with like books and movies and yeah. games and whatnot. I mean, that's yeah. Like, you know, I think both Knights of Republic 1 and 2 are in that zone, and, like, Republic Commando yeah. is in there, and, like, there's, mm-hmm. a, like, a, just some good Star And, like, obviously, Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. two great Star Wars movies. Two fantastic movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Attack of the Clones, the most underrated Star Wars movie by far, probably, yeah. like, the fourth best one. Um, 
Yeah. I'm googling when Attack of the Clones came out because I cannot remember now. It's 2002, 2002 May. 2002. Sometime. And then Sith yeah. is 05. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 1999, 02, and 05. Because I remember seeing. Um, clones in 02 in theaters and i was pretty young i was like i think i was like eight or nine and i remember like i started crying when like the weird uh jango fed like depth charges were going off when obi-wan was chasing him they make that amazing sound oh it's so good oh yeah that noise in the theater just like ravaged my skull when i was like nine. Oh I no lost it. <laughs> oh that's rough but yeah i remember my mind being blown by that as a kid yeah it's so cool um mm-hmm. the other thing i remember is like holding my head in my hands and shaking my head whenever anakin like did anything romantic to pat me i was like oh this stupid boy oh it's, um, it's so funny because as a kid um i was really into like you know Django fett and they fight all those giant bugs on genosis and, and all that and as an adult I'm really into the scene where he tells Padme that he did a genocide and she keeps loving him anyway. <laughs> that scene she embraces so, him. I just like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I understand that like part of the pre, the fun of the prequels is like, they are really on one, you know? They're really They're like, on Anakin one. Like, Anakin kills a bunch of kids in the climax of Revenge of the Sith and like, we're just, you know, and then he gets redeemed later and it's fine. And, like, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I kind of wish Anakin maybe just killed, like, one Tusken Raider. <laughs> but, I, the thing ugh. that I would do, if I was going to if I was gonna change only one thing about the prequels, is I would probably leave that, leave I Killed the Women and the Children too <laughs> in. Yeah, I would. Not because it's good, but then I would leave, I would take him telling her out of it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, or I would have him lie about, like, well, yeah, I went and killed, like, a Tusken Raider war camp or something. Right, like, yeah. Um, no, there you go. That's Because it, it really, much as I do love Attack of the Clones, and I really love that movie, um, that is maybe the moment that almost breaks the movie, because it feels like she should say, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it just gets real, and I think this is, like, I mean, well, intentional is a dicey word, but, like, um, Attack of the Clones is intentionally drawing from uh, the John Wayne movie The Searchers. John Ford yeah. also John yeah. directed. And, like, the fact that, um, like, Attack of the Clones goes where where um, where The Searchers doesn't dare to. It, like, the John, like, Anakin, the John Wayne figure in this case, like, is a genocidal murderer, right? And, like, yeah. the tension of the searchers is like, oh, is John Wayne going to be a horrible murderer? And he, like, is already, but the movie, I don't feel like, really is able to get there, right? And so mm-hmm. part of it mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones feels, like, super pointed. That it's, like, in this moment of, like, explicit nostalgia, like, indulging in sort of the Star Wars that's, like, influenced by Westerns, influenced by this kind of stuff, that that climaxes in this just horrendous act of violence against, you know, like, a native-coded population is both, I think, extremely fucked up and weird and like pretty racist but also like very sort of directed pointed at like hey maybe you know the jedi they're pretty bad they resemble this like incredibly atrocity you know this horrible atrocity of of history right right? um so it's yeah i I mean like i have very like complex feelings about that particular moment in the movie for for that reason right it's Um, it's definitely the moment that nearly breaks the movie yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. And um, then, like, I don't, I don't fault anybody for being like, no, I'm out of Attack of the Clones <laughs> after this. Like, <laughs> I, like, you know, completely understandable, 
No, no. Attack of the Clones know. is not as racist as Phantom Menace, but it does its level best to get there. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's just a very different, I feel like, kind of thing. Um, I think it is very funny in Revenge of the Sith when the Nemoidians have, like, Texas accents, though. That's the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you about these here trade agreements. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then, and then, um, in Clone Wars, the cartoon, um, like, the Nemoidians get more racist than Phantom yeah. Menace. Like, it, they triple down on it in the, like, most unforced error of the entire franchise. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it is, I mean, Clone Wars is truly such a land of contrast because it's both, like, like, does things and, like, explicitly spells out stuff that's, like, in the prequels, but, um is like i think you have to read into them a little bit more like it sort of pulls them out and like centers them right yeah um but then it's also like doubles down i think on a lot of the worst instincts of those movies right um so yeah this is the whole time um uh anyway sorry to go way off on the star wars track um one i wanted to say one last thing about clone wars which is the the, and i think january i watched up through season four and the moment that nearly broke that whole show for me was that like one of the best episodes was um uh heroes on both sides which is really about how like there are awful people on both yeah. sides mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And, uh is immediately followed by um another episode where ahsoka like gets in front of a classroom and lectures the students about how good liberal democracy is um, <laughs> oh yeah well, the thing is, uh, she will eat those words if yeah, you keep watching the, the show. The thing—I <laughs> mean, not that, not that the show is woke enough to be against liberal democracy, right? But like, it is—it's in there. You the know. thing that uh, made me not just like quit the show entirely was Nora assuring me, "No, Ahsoka's got another half of a character arc that she's going to go on here." Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's she goes through a whole lot of stuff. Man, mm, it's good. Season seven's good. Season seven. I need, yeah. I need to yeah. catch up because I, like I said, I watched through season four and then got diverted by reading all of Naruto in a month. Um, oh yeah. Hey, well you know, not a bad way to spend that time, I'd say. Um, <laughs> so I want to get well, back to Clone Wars at some point in the near future. Yeah, season five, I think is um, the last four episodes are like maybe my favorite Star Wars thing. Like it's just really okay. good stuff. So. <laughs> It's hard to, uh, oh, I don't know. I I think that that's a like highly contested spot is the thing. So yeah. yeah. Um, how how should we incorporate emails into this episode? Should we do like an email section, or should we drop them in as we see fit? Um, I mean, we can. Do we, can we have Kingdom Hearts emails? Because I, I yeah, we have a few. I feel like I have one or two like Kingdom Hearts things still floating around in my brain. But I totally lost the thread on whatever Kingdom Hearts stuff we were talking about yeah, because I yeah, got excited yeah, yeah. about Attack of the Clones. Um, welcome to the welcome to the Idle Talk experience. This is what uh, this is yeah, what we do here. Uh, oh God! Someone sent someone sent what's framed as one question and it drops down to like twenty bullet point questions. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> um, uh, this is a question from Juan. Hello, Grace, Cole, and Autumn. Um, this is traumatized. The last time I played any game in the Kingdom Hearts series was Kingdom Hearts 2 on the PS2, but I have watched all of Twin Peaks. I remember enjoying Kingdom Hearts, though. Here are my questions. So I guess 
Um, I'll pick a, I'll pick a few of the Kingdom Hearts ones. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they're all tied together. Okay. <laughs> um, this is this is the Tron way. Tron often sends a lot of questions, but I'll start with them. what might be the most banger question in this lot. Um, what do you think about the spiritual aspects in both Twin Peaks and Kingdom Hearts? Um. Someone else should start before me. I have a thought, but I'm putting it into words. Yeah, I think, um, like, I think there's sort of a similar, like, um, this is going to get to a little bit of Birth by Sleep, but, like, um, Ventus is this character who, um, the darkness in him is, like, forcibly torn out and becomes, like, his its own person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, his heart is, like, shattered, right um and then like that this is why roxas looks like somebody else's because sora comes in and fills the rest of his heart in and so then they're like bound together right Mm -hmm. um so the ventus is just living inside sora's heart which is why roxas looks like ventus (laughs) it's a whole thing (laughs) um and um the thing is with that i feel like it um i think that's where it gets closest to sort of the twin peaks where um, there's sort of this this trauma that shatters the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's sort of the the spiritual the thing the spiritual thing in in Twin Peaks for me, or at least what's centered for me is like, um, I mean Laura's death and then like um, Hiroshima and the atomic bomb in mm-hmm. in season three, um, and sort of I think like subtextually in some ways like the the project of the United States of America, right, is like this spiritually destructive thing that just like. Um, shatters every everything and everyone that it touches, right? And becomes yeah. a sort of, like, um, population-spanning, community-spanning trauma. Um, and I think, like... I don't think... Kingdom Hearts, frankly, is, like, not smart enough to get there, right? There's, <laughs> there's not enough, like, material, like, structure in these games. But I think, like, what happens to Ventus ends up being this, like, this, you know, this structuring thing for both... Terra and mm-hmm. Aqua, and that like um, kind of drives like the rest of Kingdom Hearts to some degree, right? That he he gets himself like redefined for him in this very violent, like textually abusive way, and yeah. a lot of Birth by Sleep is like dealing with the fallout of that and trying to like mm-hmm. Ventus trying to figure out how can I be a whole person since this has happened to me, right? Yeah. Um, I um, I don't know. I, I guess. We could be jinxing ourselves because by Kingdom Hearts Four, Disney could have like bought the IP of the Bible, so we could have a, a biblical <laughs> world where like Judas Iscariot is in Organization Thirteen. Oh God! And we're in, we're running around in a whale's belly. No, the, belly the, the real point. the real shit is if it's like Judas is the the nobody of Jesus. That's like <laughs> that's where or we get the we real... get to play through um, Darren Aronofsky's Noah. <laughs> there you go. Oh my God. Um, oh my god. Uh, Russell Crowe <laughs> in Kingdom so guess, Hearts graphics is all I need. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But I guess relating to that original question, I can only speak from spirituality uh, pertaining to Twin Peaks because I haven't played Kingdom Hearts, but I just think Twin Peaks, a lot of it is working like within the framework of like the sort of American, suburban, like idealized, um, like just like dream as like a form of like original sin in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, like, everyone has to sort of atone for it in their own ways. Um, yeah. I think um, the the one bit of, like, because I, I have not seen 
much Twin Peaks since um, I finished watching The Return, which would have been about a month after it ended airing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one bit of, like, refreshing myself that I did was I watched, like, a compilation of my favorite Sarah Palmer scenes because Sarah Palmer is kind of the character that I, like, think about mm, yeah. a lot, um, especially her moment in the final episode of the original run where she comes and speaks to that military guy whose name is uh, officer briggs um mm-hmm. yes yes comes and speaks to briggs and says that uh i'm in the black lodge with dale cooper and the the like stuff that always hits me so hard in twin beaks is like seeing the ways that um that american dream like like uh you talked about is somewhat predicated on forgetting the harm that like we've done um yeah Mm -hmm. and and every time sarah is on screen she is a a reminder of like this whole show that we all laugh about the coffee stuff is, is predicated on like something horrific that happened to this woman and her daughter mm-hmm. um, yeah and it's it's really moving <laughs> yeah no it is well i think the the stuff with her in, in season three where like she um i guess we should like i'll you know i'll put a thing at the top of this so that like we're spoiling Twin Peaks, <laughs> yeah. and and we already spoiled a bunch of kingdom hearts stuff so i'll just i'll just put that at the top and so people and i'll put it in the description but mm-hmm. um but you know like when um Oh, I'm forgetting his name. The police officer comes and visits Sarah after she, like, has that um, episode in the uh, grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you can just tell, like, nobody's visiting her, right? Yeah. Like, nobody's there for her. Nobody knows what's happening in her life. And that sense of, like... And I, I think it's something that's, like, real about, um, like, the way families work in these states is that they're supposed to be sort of isolated and insulated, right mm-hmm. is that you're you're not connected to a broader community that's like if someone is being abused or if something that you can sort of like pass things over or like deal you know with accountability with someone right and so like when sarah palmer like loses everything like everyone shows up to the funeral and then it's just gone right mm-hmm. and it's just so tragic i also think it speaks to like I guess we always want to think that if some sort of big trauma was to befall town it would bring everyone together when in reality whoever that trauma sort of the ripple effects are felt they probably just cast aside while the rest of the town tries to just move on yeah well mm-hmm. i think i mean i think the thing that twin peaks does really well though is it, it proves that you you can't just move on yeah, right definitely like you can't you have to like deal with and reckon with these things and like you know like and i i think that's what makes it such a especially like season one or the pilot even where it's like the pilot is basically just like a documentation of the tiny ways every member of the cast is like you know broken by this event right Mm -hmm. um by laura palmer's death and that's um you know like i to me he he does not get to the point where it's like here's what a community like a a community looks out for itself looks like and i think even the few scant moments where it starts to reach towards those kinds of answers um are kind of conservative yeah but like Mm -hmm. um I think that that portrait of a community like in crisis in this like shattered mode because of this event and its inability to sort of like actually materially address what has happened. Um, like I think points to sort of a different kind of existence, a different kind of way of being in a community, right. Being with, um, mm-hmm. 
anyway, and I think that, yeah, that's part of what makes it, and I think it that makes it really moving to me, you know, as someone who was like very active in a religious community up until you know a few years ago, um, that I think also similarly like failed uh, the, its most vulnerable, right? And yeah. so mm-hmm. I think it, it it both helps me like work through that and sort of try to imagine like what is a a different kind of um, community, what is a different kind of like religious sort of centering look like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if I have to add there, but yeah. Um, should I read some more of these questions from this one email, or should we just? Yeah, go ahead. You can hit us up. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'll start at the top. So the first question is pretty. Uh, I guess it's sort of it's pretty general. Um, do you think? Do you all think that Kingdom Hearts is confusing or hard to comprehend? What about Twin Peaks? Um. We kind of addressed the Kingdom Hearts, or I did. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Autumn mm-hmm. has any opinion specifically about. Uh... I, I think I just have a different relationship to Kingdom Hearts being confusing because I have, like, lived with it for such a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, both I have lived with it for such a long time, and also in the span of like three months, as I was like getting back into like fandom brain, I I watched literally everything that was like available in the franchise, and so. Like, I just understood it all because I just watched it all. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, or I haven't understood everything that is to be understood. Twin Peaks for me is such a, um, was such a difficult thing. I think now in 2020, if I rewatched it, I would have a, like, better time parsing it. But the thing that I think Twin Peaks demands of you on some level is, like, you don't have to understand... The, the, the physical, the metaphysical thing that is happening here. You don't have to understand the, the logic of the thing that is happening here. What, this scene, like, from a filmmaking perspective or from whatever sort of perspective, is trying to give you a feeling, and you have to understand the things that you are feeling, even if you don't understand, like, what Judy is. Yeah, um, no, I think that's a... I mean, I think that's a huge thing, actually, for, for like, becoming a good critic and um, is, like, trusting your feelings. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And trusting that... And, like, and you know, I think part of it's, like, okay, then you take that next step and figure out where is this coming from in the work, you know? Like, yeah. what formal elements are, like, making me feel this way? Um, but, like, when I, when I TA'd for, like, a base-level humanities class in, in college, like, we read The Wasteland, right? The T.S. Eliot poem, which is, like, famously mm-hmm. difficult... Um, and a lot of the kids who I TA'd were like, I don't know if I got this, but here's what I think it's about. And it's like, yeah, like you pretty much got it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> you, you understand that this poem's about like the fracturing of modernity, like isolation. You understand like, and you might not be able to get some of the like weirder T.S. Eliot stuff or some of the literary references it's making. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do understand like what it's generally getting at. And like that second half can, you can get there through like talking about this poem, like with people, you know, and I think that's like, mm-hmm. Twin Peaks yeah. can feel really intimidating formally, but I think if you trust your feelings and then also like feel free to like be true. yeah, like engage with it with yeah. other people, you know, you could like get there, right? I think yeah. um you know. Yeah, and I, I think that's sort of the central like obviously the metaphysical stuff gets complicated and it is like intentionally obtuse and unexplainable, but also okay. like the basic heart of it where it's like about a young girl who was murdered and that is really tragic and sad right yeah like that's almost the whole show and so like being able to sort of trust that feeling as you're moving through it i think was is helpful to me um trying to analyze that kind of stuff definitely Mm -hmm. i think my relationship with twin peaks is i watched season one and two on like the tail end of high school when i was not doing any real like 
critical like work work like i wasn't i haven't really hadn't really engaged in the like critical readings of anything in that time and i was very much still in like the uh youtube critic mindset where like, i wouldn't trust myself to answer any questions that a, a piece left me li- left me with I, always, I would always look up like ending explained yeah mm-hmm. so i was definitely mm-hmm. in that mode yeah. of viewing twin peaks just through what other people on youtube tell me and then just i just sort of grew with it and then came at it again and just sort of um flowed with it yeah with well own. yeah and i think um it's a twin peaks asks something of you that i think a lot of people aren't prepared to like give to it which is like if you go on youtube you can see a zillion videos that are trying to explain to you the the um what's happening and i haven't watched any of those videos i don't have a good grasp on what's happening that's not the thing that i take away from twin no yeah you know well i think this Um, is like tying back into the spiritual stuff which actually i think i mean this is like a weird analogy but I, i think a lot of the frustration i have with how um sort of like American evangelical Christianity or like Mormonism uh, or much of Mormonism like deals with scripture is it's very it's either very literal or very like oh this is a code right yeah. that I just need to like fit slot everything into right and I think people approach Kingdom I mean people have both Kingdom Hearts and Twin Peaks in the same way right and I think it's like very limiting you know that like part of um, part of Twin Peaks is I think trying to articulate something that is like very difficult to understand like I've tried to write about firewalk with me the the movie many like a few times and it just is very mm-hmm. difficult for me to get the words out but like i know what that that movie means a lot to me right and i think that that yeah. like um being able to lean on the unexplained the unexplainable is like a very important part of like a, uh, i think a healthy spiritual life and like a healthy like relationship with media and like criticism yeah. life uh if that makes sense um, yeah i guess I'll read one more question from this email. There's a bunch, but I'm just going to choose this last one. Yeah. And I guess it goes on that sort of talking about the unknown and it's more vague in the sense that it's, um, have you all ever felt the presence of a spirit or had an otherworldly experience in a space in real life? Uh, yes, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, it is hard to like, um, I mean, like I I think about a lot, the, the, the Salem witch trials, um, and how like, all these girls sort of like were able to act simultaneously. Um, and it was sort of like this, this, like, I, I guess, I don't know. I, this is like based on knowledge from like, you know, like 10th or 11th grade. Right. So I, I might be getting some of this wrong, but it's like, you're sort of able to get in this like social mode where you can like act all as one. It's not like, you know, there weren't witches at the Salem witch trials, right. There weren't yeah. actually people being possessed, but you sort of get into this place where all of a sudden you can sort of act as this like one unit right um and so it's hard for me to know like have have these experiences i have like because i'm in a certain mindset because i'm like you know trying to like feel a certain way right am Mm -hmm. i like placing myself in a situation where i feel like i've i've seen or like i mean i've never seen a ghost but like felt the spirit the you know felt the Mm -hmm. felt the holy ghost for example right or felt the presence of like past loved ones and things like that right yeah Um, but i um i I have such a weird relationship to this stuff just because, like, I was not really raised religious in any way, and I went through maybe, like, from 14 to age 14 to age 20, um, like, got involved in, like, um, religious communities, um, and it was, like, a 
deeply meaningful thing for me for some years there. Yeah. And, and now that is not a part of my life for mm-hmm. myriad reasons. And so now as I think about, as I think back on a lot of those experiences, like I had moments where I like felt something like moving me that I couldn't explain. And, and now as a like, you know, bitter Marxist uh, <laughs> in 2020, yeah. I'm like, well, was I just being compelled because of like some weird cultish behaviors in the religious communities that I would respond yeah. to? And mm-hmm. I don't think that that um, uh, religious communities are inherently a bad thing. I'm just saying that like the religious communities that I was part of had some weird cultish shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my, my uh, too, right? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I feel sort of uncomfortable with uh, with calling like my old church a cult um, for whatever reason. But like that is, yeah, like that is 100 percent true. I think, mm-hmm. and I think generally speaking, in like Western Christianity, it's a little cultish. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. I don't think that's. Uh, um, um, but, but I, I, I do think though that like, um, like I. I've been thinking a lot about like, um, you know, I, I think a lot about the apocalypse as like a concept, both sort of in a spiritual way, um, and um, in like a sort of literal like, oh, global warming is coming, right mm-hmm. way. Um, and I think something that's like helpful for me with sort of spiritual stuff and feeling the spiritual is that like, um, these ki- these kinds of things have happened before, like apocalypse have happened before, and they will happen again, right? Mm-hmm. And like people um, will exist through them and the the lives that we like around us that are lost like still sort of exist in some way and i don't necessarily mean that it's like a soul kind of thing right but it it's um i mean it's like laura palmer i guess right where it's like laura Mm -hmm. exists you know and it might not be literal right it might not be a literal existence right after her death but Mm -hmm. it is like this continuation uh, of self that i think um you know i don't know this is like yeah i don't have necessarily the exact word for it right but i think like um life life and afterlife and spirituality are like deeply mysterious things and i'm like now very skeptical of anyone who's like i have the i have the definitive answers to this or i have the way mm-hmm. this works right um i think you have to like embrace that mystery and that sense mm-hmm. of like but mm-hmm. being able to be like yeah i've had feelings that i can't explain right and that still you know affect something in me right and that might have been weird you know that might have been like weird cultish pressures and stuff like that but it also could not have been and like that sort of trying to sort through that i think is a really productive thing like those kinds of encounters that you have with sort of the spiritual realm or like the spiritual the spiritual experience that you have inside yourself right um mm-hmm. working through it and trying to like unpack it is like that is a religious experience right and i think that's how yeah. i relate to a lot of media too in, in some way is using it as a text to like think through my own life right and hopefully not to like an extreme way <laughs> right uh, <laughs> or to like a, a negative way but like you know that is i think through things i'm going through 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 twin peaks and through kingdom hearts like and stuff like this mm-hmm. right yeah um so I, I think the the basic tools of religion are i think i think i think are things that we're all sort of familiar with in some ways and we may not be having what we would call a spiritual experience right like in such terms but it often i think can be described that way mm-hmm. um, yeah I guess my really, I guess my answer to that question is I've never seen like a ghost or anything, and I've never been. Um, like I was raised in a Baptist church, and that sort of turned me off of religion, just sort of on a broad level. Um, but I've always been fascinated by religion, and like taking religious studies courses, and like am like compelled by theology. But I feel like my experiences relating to this are, I don't know. I feel like 
buildings or spaces or just anything i feel like if maybe they're not like they don't like hold people's spirits after they're gone but i feel like there's definitely i feel like physical objects can hold memory in a way and we can Mm -hmm. maybe like just feel that sometimes yeah um there's the there's the fan in in twin peaks that like always evokes laura Mm -hmm. like and like she you know she is like this spirit moving through the house because that fan is always spinning um and like like there is a sort of like like a, a sort of material way of looking at it of like like my grandmother recently passed and when i went to her funeral like we were in the in the town where where i had all my memories with her and i was like kind of seeing in my mind's eye like all these like experiences that i'd had there and so like that's not you know a ghost popping up but that is kind of a ghost yeah, popping no. up in a way <laughs> yeah yeah um when i think often those Um, kinds of stories are are ways that we sort of explain what we're feeling to ourselves right Uh, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah um i could um should i choose a different question i think we can i mean we're 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 an hour in so i feel like we could we could maybe call this the question section uh if you if you're both okay Okay, i guess we're i guess we're in the question section um, <laughs> and we can you know we can this yeah, is it's uh, idle talk baby it's it's whatever anything goes we can like keep going after the question section yeah. you know it's, <laughs> it's whatever you want to do oh, go uh, ahead. On, on export we used to always like we would finish talking about the legend of Korra which is a terrible <laughs> show no one watch it um and we would do the plugs and then in the middle of doing the plugs like Nora and I would get on this tangent that would be an extra forty-five minutes of podcast. <laughs> well, this is also go. the thing is like so plugs when, are... when me and Cole were talking about doing ex- I mean, doing uh, this show, doing Idle Talk. I was thinking a lot about export. Right, that was like one of the mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like thing. I was like, oh, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Bombcast kind of. It's kind of like export, <laughs> right? So you know, <laughs> so that that spirit is. You know, lives on. Lives in, on. In the forty-five part. minutes after the plugs was always the best forty-five minutes. So, Kids yeah. Question, Cole. Um, sure. This one's from Waverly, who we all know. I, th- I think. Yeah, she's weird. Um. Uh, she says, "Hey, I'll talk." In the side quests roundtable mentioned in the previous episode, Cole talks about summer being the season of gaming and snacking. This is a true <laughs> thing. I did talk about that. Um, <laughs> this poses an important question. What do you think are the ultimate gamer snacks? And this is an important question. Ooh. And I'm gonna go with um, three things. Okay. Um, I don't snack as much as I used to, but when I was in full snack mode, um, you always go a, a cold diet coke on the table while you're gaming. You know, you have free. Mm-hmm. You have some Fritos close by, preferably the honey barbecue flavor. And then maybe some sour straws or Swedish fish. That was sort of my like <laughs> disgusting gamer. That's good snack setup. I do, I do a lot of my snacking in the morning. Like I'll have snacks instead of breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so this is tough because I'll, I'll drink coffee and I'll have um, those little. Little Debbie's chocolate donuts things. Yeah. Oh my god. But that's so not good. a gaming <laughs> snack. They're so fucking good. That's not a gaming snack necessarily because I don't really game in the morning. I'm usually, or 
I'm usually like playing Slave Aspire, but the thing that I'm doing is I'm listening to an audiobook or a podcast. Right. Yeah. Um so game like gaming is a nighttime activity in my brain, and I'm trying to think vanilla coke or a sprite, depending on if I want caffeine. <clears throat> um I love I love Chex Mix. I love Ooh, the savory Chex Mix in the black bag. Yes, those are and so then good. I feel, and then I need something like not salty to chew on too. And I'm trying to think of what that is. Sometimes it's fruit snacks because I'm a six year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What do I get when I go to Quick Trip? That's the question here. Is like, what do I get when I go to Quick Trip and I come back? Quick Trip um, runs are the best. God. I don't have a Quick Trip near me in my new apartment. I have a Gas Mart, which is fine, yeah. but it's not It's not the same. We, um, the house I'm in now, there's a Quick Trip like eight minutes away, but I'm moving to a new apartment in September, and there's a Quick Trip like two minutes away, yeah. which is... Oh, I love that for you. Ideal. Yeah, the, the house I was in before this one, we had a Quick Trip that I went to basically every day or two, and <laughs> the Gas Mart I go to once a week-ish, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, vanilla Coke and Chex Mix and something sweet. Probably, maybe Skittles? Maybe Skittles. Yeah. I'm, uh... Nice. So, like, one thing that's... Is I don't, like, buy snacks. I don't really eat while I'm gaming. Um, so I feel <laughs> like this question is not built for me. But, like, also it's, like, I have this, like, uh, relationship with, with snacks where it's, like, if Emma buys something or brings it out, like, I will eat it. Emma, my partner, right? Like, oh, yeah. if, if, like if, if we're watching a show and she's got Cheetos, like I will eat the Cheetos, but I won't eat the Cheetos on my own. I won't buy Cheetos. Right? I won't get like <laughs> okay. The I, bag do the, out. I do the same thing, where I never want, I never want food. But if Nora has food, I will <coughs> eat the food off of Nora's yes, plate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a similar. Uh, like I'm just not. Um, although it is different. Like if I'm, I like if I'm in Germany, I like eat a lot more like chocolate and stuff oh yeah um uh, when i was in berlin i would eat so many paprika pringles oh yeah oh paprika pringles sound good i'm they not are. much of a potato chips person but i like i like yeah, pringles because i like the texture on them a little better mm-hmm. than most potato chips. like ev- every like chip pap- in germany was like paprika flavored it felt like yeah there's like okay. some good like i just think about curry ketchup all the time um yes oh my I miss curry ketchup so much. I used to. I get, yeah. This is like white trash thing to do. Uh, not to be like glasses, but like um, I would. I would have curry ketchup with fried eggs. Um, that sounds good. It though, was honestly. right. It was dope. <laughs> I don't like ketchup, but curry ketchup sounds. It's okay. yeah. It's mm-hmm. I mean it's good. Uh, it yeah. and like you can get like I mean you, in Germany it doesn't get too hot, but you can get sort of a spicier variation. And it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess my. My current gaming snack, if we're talking relevancy, is I've been buying these little, like, they come in, like, packs of fours, they're little snack packs, so, like, it's, like, Sargento, usually, like, a cheddar cheese, and, and like, one area of it, and on the other area, it's, like, raisins and cashews, so it's, like, a little charcuterie board just for me, and I've been, those are really good. Okay, yeah. Also, Because you get a little, felt, little bit of everything in them. I have felt recently like a fucking child, because Nora's new snack of choice has been, like, um, buying, like, fancy cheese and fancy crackers and putting a little bit of honey on it um, oh yeah and it's so fucking good and the first time that she got the fancy cheese she like called me and was like hey i'm at the store do you want any snacks i was like i just want some cheez-its please <laughs> oh, have you had the toasted cheez-its 
I have not had the toasted Cheez-Its. For a long time, I thought I didn't like Cheez-Its. I discovered what I don't like is the orange cheddar Cheez-Its. I like a white uh, cheddar white Cheez-It. cheddar Cheez-Its is good. I mm-hmm. like the four cheese Cheez-Its. Yeah. I will definitely try the toasted Cheez-Its. For They're sure. good. They're good. Um, yeah, I guess we can move on to the next question. We got Jack's got another question for us. Okay. Um, hi again, Idol of the Talkers. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when I get into the Jack zone... Um, parentheses pajama pants and a cool beverage for a cool dude such as myself in parentheses i like watching it i like (laughs) i like watching an anime sometimes said anime has a cool thing happen that is very effective because they have the main theme song played during the sequence my Mm quite my question related to this anecdote dot 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 is a theme a video game you have played that has delivered on the situation in a similar way this is a really good question perhaps it's not a cool moment but a sad sad one depending on the game in parentheses for me I feel like Platinum Games does a good job at emulating it with several of their games. Bayonetta, The Wonderful 101, etc. Thank you. Jack, sent from the Jackbook Pro. <laughs> <laughs> so I, have, I have two thoughts off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. One, uh, which is just a funny thing, um, uh, when I watch, when I was watching all the like movies of Kingdom Hearts on uh, YouTube, because... Um, copyright laws are what they are they would always mute the videos whenever um, uh, Simple and Clean or Sanctuary came on (laughs) which really ruins some of the best moments in the franchise yeah I can imagine Um, um, Cole Cole, have you ever listened to Sanctuary or Simple and Clean Sanctuary is good Sanctuary is like is it a Kingdom Hearts song? Yeah, it's like the well, Simple and Clean's like the Kingdom Hearts song. Is Sanctuary right? the one that's playing playing on the beach? No, that's Simple and Clean, probably. Oh, I've heard that one. And then Sanctuary is the one where there's like the backwards talking. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, it's a. Oh wait, no, I've definitely heard that one too. Okay, yeah. Anyway, they're both very good songs, but like Sanctuary's like, Ugh. and plus that Kingdom Hearts mm-hmm. two opener is an all time or video game cutscene yeah. to me. It is. It um, really is. Um, but my, that's like kind of a funny answer, is that muting the Kingdom Hearts songs when Kingdom Hearts shit is happening is very funny. <laughs> um, when I finished Metroid Prime today, um, when you get to the final... When you're fighting the last boss, Metroid Prime, and you get to its final form, they do this, like, sick-as-fuck remix as, of, like, I don't know what it's called, but, like, the Metroid theme. Like, the Metroid song that you hear if I say the Metroid song, they do a really fucking sick remix of it. Um during that boss fight and they haven't played that song the whole game and so it's re- it's a good moment it's a really good yeah. moment mm-hmm. they do something similar with the uh the ridley fight um in that game but i don't like the ridley song as much as like the metroid song right <laughs> would that be the norfair theme is that like yeah let me i'm gonna pull up the norfair theme on youtube yeah and if you want to talk while i'm doing it go um, for it why well, just um, uh oh go ahead cool i'll just say my answer to this question is like kind of a cop-out answer but um, literally every song in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Pro Skater 3 perfectly accents what you're doing so <laughs> that's true um, yeah, no, should I go right. with that that's a good one I I think like Bayonetta is a big one for me I mean I love every time Fly Me to the Moon plays in Bayonetta 1 I get hype uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter like what the context is the game rules yeah um, I can't wait to finally play it I uh yeah you should oh I really need to get to Bayonetta 2 because um anyway but uh, but I, I think my real initially Jedi Knight or Jedi Fallen Order, um, like the moment where it like chooses to like drop the John Williams track, just like full on, 
you know, oh, yeah. do, and it's mm-hmm. the like Order sixty six theme is like yeah killer i think and the fact that it's like so restrained with like there's the uses the force theme a couple times but like generally speaking it's like not dabbling in that star wars language and so when it just like hits it hits and it's very definitely um yeah uh and then yeah i guess those are my answers to that question um we can pop on to another because we have have two questions left if we want to get to them yeah we can do that Uh, okay yeah so this one is from ryan what do y'all think of Evil Cooper as a character? Three years after the show's release, and I still don't know what to think of him. While there are plenty of interesting ideas season three plays with, I can't help but feel like the show doesn't ha- didn't have anything interesting for Evil Cooper outside of being a cold villain. Um. So. So what do we think about? I that? I have lots of Evil Cooper takes. Um. So I can get started unless one of you has something to say about Evil Cooper. <laughs> no, feel free to feel free to um, get going. So I think yeah. Go. Well, I think the big thing with Evil Cooper is that um, like not necessarily literally although i think that is like a read that you could do right um it's the same as regular cooper as like good cooper like Mm -hmm. that's sort Mm -hmm. of the the where the text of the show goes for me especially like that the scene in the diner at the end of season three the end episode like he is protecting this girl harassed by these dudes right but like the way he sort of acts and the way he talks is like very very similar to the way like evil cooper operates right and like i think the the line you're supposed to draw there is like this kind of or at least at least the the line i draw i don't know if the show's like trying to do this right but like yeah. cooper represents this like police violence right this like structural state violence mm. that like very literally sort of exploits um and traumatizes people right um and does so in in the show right um and i think even in like you know season one and two where cooper's really really charming and um fun to be around there is a sense that the job is more important to him than these people right and you get sort of a sense that he's like he like pushes it people in like harmful ways and, and things like that right um and i think that there's um like it, it's complicated and i, I don't want to be like because i think there is also a conservatism to kingdom hearts i think there is a there is at least a longing for the idealized america um in some of that stuff right but I think a lot of season three, especially, is coming with the harsh reality that that is, or the unreality of it, rather, right? And I think Evil Cooper sort of represents mm-hmm. that to me that, mm-hmm. like, the good hearted police officer who has everyone's best interests in heart and is just like a good Boy Scout is, like, not a thing that is real, right? Yeah. And, um, and that's what makes that stuff, like, really chilling and compelling to me is, like, the, and I think the Kyle McCaughan's performance is really great, too, because a lot of the mannerisms of, like, Good Coop get carried over right into bad coop and like that mm-hmm. that direct sort of line you're able to draw between them makes like that stuff really work for me yeah i think our thoughts in regards to evil cooper on the very um pretty much the same wavelength so i don't know if i need to go fully into how i feel about evil cooper as a character but his when i was you go you go sorry, oh, sorry. i was gonna say his his being in the show at all gets um the show to a few of just my favorite like formerly interesting like filmic moments which is in episode eight there's a scene where he's driving in the start of the episode and it's just like a classic sort of like lynch shot of the car's hood and headlights in like the oh, night yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's i find that very mm-hmm. compelling and then the scene where he's sort of being consumed by like the the weird apparition things yeah oh that's so good it's like one of my favorite yeah. moments and well i think movies. that like 
like formally. Like the thing Twin Peaks, the line Twin Peaks really cuts for me that I think is really great is um, like the way Bob has like an evil force is like both elemental and personal, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's like mm-hmm. like true evil is like a thing, and it's probably just your dad right not my dad you know yeah. <laughs> my yeah. dad's great <laughs> sorry dad if you listen to this but you know generally like you know what i mean like it's like it's 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 close and it's around you in the in this like very and i think cooper evil cooper does that for me right um especially in those kinds of images where like the way that that car hood just looks evil you know and yeah. like yeah yeah you don't know why but it just does uh autumn did you want to say something when I was watching uh, The Return, because um, I had, I watched I watched seasons one and two while The Return was airing, and mm-hmm. just after it finished, I watched Firewalk with me, and then I I literally watched all of The Return in like a three day weekend that I had, um, which <laughs> oh, is a bad wow. thing to do to, wow. to yeah. yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the the big struggle with watching the return was I wanted, uh, I wanted Dale Cooper yeah, back. I wanted he, the the fun guy, and, and realizing very late in the show, like, like that this has all been intentional. That like Dougie is supposed to be really grating because Dougie is like the thing that fans want, and Mister C is like the thing that like the show actually is in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second to last episode, the way that it just totally eviscerates everything that, like, fans might want from uh, Twin Peaks The Return is so good. And it it got me on board at the the end there, but, like, the the long journey to, like... Yeah, well, it is is a real slow show. Um, And I Um, think, in a way, it was really great, to be clear. Like, I don't dislike that element of it, but... um... But I think it would be easier to rewatch than to watch in a lot of ways. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. Definitely, once you know, definitely. Once you know the shape of everything and you're not just like, why is David wasting my time with with my my son just being a <laughs> dumbass? <laughs> because I, I mean, like, yeah, I love Dougie. And I think that's one thing, like, that the show also gets is, like, the, Dougie's innocence is so compelling to me, right? And that um, the way every, everything sort of works out around him because he's like this force of like like not goodness exactly right but like almost <laughs> and um i just think that stuff is great and i i imagine like what yeah but also there is that like where you're like and the fact you know, you want dale cooper to come back you want twin peaks to be mm-hmm. the show that it was right and the fact mm-hmm. that it holds so tight on that and that it lets go for like 15 minutes <laughs> you know whatever and then tightens yeah. right again right is such a cool thing and it's so much more satisfying i think than like a than like what you would traditionally imagine the Twin Peaks season three to be, right? Definitely. Um, um, and yeah, like Mr. C is a really compelling character to me because like my two of my like favorite moments in the show that I um, I think complicate in the like original like ninety stuff like that I think really complicate what the show is is one um, in, in I guess I'll talk about the show first. In, in the show, like, Leland sees a sketch of Bob and is like, oh, I saw him when I was young. And I think, like, readings of um, Twin Peaks, let's say, abuse is cyclical or maybe a little reductive. But, yeah. like, the moment of, like, 
oh, Leland also knows about Bob because he has also encountered, like, evil. Mm-hmm. Um, like, carries forward into, like, you know, Mr. C being, like, the evil thing because, like, like Bob is not, like, the specific tragedy of Laura Palmer, but but the the expansive thing of, like, evil things being done to people yeah. and, and abuse happening. Um, the other scene I think about a lot is from Firewalk With Me, um, where the scene where Leland is telling uh, Laura to wash her to wash her hands before oh, dinner, and God. Um, it's such a difficult scene. Yeah, I like, yeah. Pause, pause the movie and like pace my apartment for like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, it's rough. Uh, and like, like in, in that moment, Bob is and evil is not like killing Laura Palmer. It's just day to day, like being cruel to her. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, uh, like. Uh, this is something that ties back into D- Dale's character um, for me is that like when Dale, so yeah, this is like major spoilers for season three. So, you know, watch that. Um, but when Dale mm-hmm. goes back to save Laura Palmer, you know, goes back mm-hmm. in time, he goes right before she dies. Right. And that to me, yeah. and like, I'm not saying, I think the point of the show is he should not go back. Right. This is not a thing you can just paste over. You have to like mm-hmm. actually reckon yeah. with that this is a thing that happened. Right. I think that is like, the core thesis of season three in a big way but like Mm -hmm. but the fact that he chooses that moment which is like basically after everything that laura's been through that is horrible and awful is like very telling to me about like who he is right at that moment um and it's just it's so it's so fucking sad man it's the most tragic thing the um the scene where he's telling her to wash her hands is like the most tragic and upsetting thing in the whole franchise to me, and it is not a thing that anybody else except Leland, Laura, and Sarah know about or yeah. talk about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of why, like, Cooper is doomed to just kind of, like, perpetuate the thing, like, the horrible things that were done to Laura in yeah. some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Cooper in a lot of ways doesn't understand Laura as, like, a full being rather than just, like, a girl who died, in a sense. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think, like, I mean, I'm really curious to watch, like, I will watch that show again, right? And to watch yeah. the first couple of seasons have, after having seen season three, knowing what is coming, how I'm going to think about Dale Cooper. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, because, yeah. like, that whole time I was like, what a sweet boy, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I was, no. you know, and he is, right? And he is charming. And, like, Gordon Cole is charming, right? And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, Albert is charming. I can't do my Gordon Cole impression on the podcast. I can't. I love that man, but also he's a bad man. Like they're all, they're all FBI, they're all cops, you know. They're all cops, <laughs> and the, like the the big like triumphant moment uh, for Gordon Cole in season three is in some way the like. Well, I wasn't transphobic in the '90s, and like <laughs> the way that he's not transphobic is getting someone promoted to be the director of the FBI? Yeah, no, like, it's a... It's a and, like, the thing is, I, I... And I think that's a tension that um, the Trump Peaks really... Like, the fact that you you like Gordon Cole and are charmed by him, and also he is the literal atomic bomb on his desk, right? Like, that's... Yeah. You know, like, yeah. what is... Like, the show is being really obvious, I think, in some ways with this imagery, right? If you... Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. read it the, the this way, I suppose. Um, um. Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, I guess uh, just our, uh, the last question will tie us back into Kingdom Hearts, okay. which is good. Hell yeah. Um, it's from Autumn, uh, and it's a quite two-part question. It's pretty loose, but I think it's something you guys will definitely sort of run away with. And it's, um, hi, two things. Is there actually any coherent message in the text, or is it all just loose-fitting, coincidental metaphors? And do I need to play the games to get any anything out of that? Quotes or um, parentheses. Please say no. <laughs> um, Thanks, Autumn. I mean, I've already addressed the second part, which is that you can just watch them, yeah, um, and that's like a great experience. Arguably, in some ways, better than playing them because they're like a series of eight, like twenty-five to forty-hour RPGs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, no, I would say um, in response to that, like, yeah, like I, I think I've I'm come around really on, and like I, I, I don't know. It, it depends, obviously, and I think, I, I think it's it's good for people to play things if you're going to write about them. But also, like I was on a FF7 remake spoiler cast, a game that I have not touched. Right, I just watched mm-hmm. uh, let's plays and like read about it and and listened to podcasts about it. Right, and I think I was able to talk about that game and engage with people who had played it in like. So I I, I think um, something I think gaming in general would be good to do and i think this is tied into like accessibility is just like letting go of the need for like the pure aesthetic experience of something right and letting people mm-hmm. experience something on their own terms or in the way that they can i think this ties into yeah. like the wasteland also right where it's like there might be this platonic idea of experience of the wasteland where it's like you understand all the references and you can like speak greek and latin and you can so you can like read the parts of it that are not but like that's not the way anybody's actually going to experience it right like you are going to read it mediated um mm-hmm. you know I, I mean i would just use the wasteland not because it's like a, a personal favorite or anything like that i just think it's an illustrative <laughs> example um but uh you know and I, I think the same goes for like for like ulysses or like really anything right that like you want to be willing to like engage through it mediated and i think like watching a long play or a let's play or engaging things on those terms is like an extremely valid way to experience a game and it is different than playing it right but that does not yeah. make it lesser or or less good right it just is Definitely. Just a different yeah kind of thing it it gives me a different take on a lot of kingdom hearts stuff than my friends do because like i'm really high on kingdom hearts 2 a game that a lot of people hate <laughs> i didn't play the disney stuff i don't even think i watched well i did play the disney stuff when i was 12 and had a tolerance for disney yeah stuff. <laughs> it's a different it's a different kind of thing i think when you're playing a game like that as a kid um um to, to autumn's first point about like the intentionality of the queer metaphors in kingdom hearts the the one that i pull on a lot and i'm going to I know we've spoiled a lot of Kingdom Hearts stuff. I'm going to try not to spoil the Xion stuff because I think, like, um, I think it's really interesting. And if Autumn is wants to, like, uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. come at these games, like, the Xion stuff, I think, is going to be what Autumn <laughs> uh, uh, picks up on. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, how do I want to talk about this? I think it's accidental because... There are a lot of fans online who see Xion as, like, a very nearly canonical trans character. And I understand why. I understand how you look at the things that happen to um, Xion, and it just feels like it is the text of the game that she is transgender. Like, it just... It is the text of the game that she is transgender. (laughs) But it, it also, 
I think if it was intentional, um, there is no way that they would write the ending for her that they did. Yeah. Because the ending for her that she gets in, in 358, um, and, um, there's more stuff. Right. Later so I series, do know but, about this, but cause I've been like broadly yeah, spoiled on stuff, but yeah. Mm hmm. Um, surprising no one every single character shows up in kingdom hearts 3 (laughs) even the characters that are not supposed to show up in kingdom hearts 3 um but the end like if you were intentionally writing her as a trans character you would not give her that ending because i think the implications of that ending are like horrifying if she is a transgender character like horrifying and it's always something that i feel so weird because people online We'll just talk about like, ooh, ooh Shion is trans. Yeah, <laughs> and don't think through like the very obvious implication of the thing that happens to her in the ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thing. I think that's. Uh, I mean, I think it it does. Like, I when I anyway, I don't. Oh, I don't want to spoil it. But when I heard the the um, she like heard the story of Shion in uh, what's the waypoint recap podcast more reasons. More reasons yeah there we go reasons. uh i i thought of it as like kind of a trans masculine thing um and then playing it it doesn't feel like that to me um and so mm-hmm. we, i just think it gets i think it gets really tricky with that stuff and i think um i i think this is something that's like very important to me as like as like a critic who's also written about like i've written him like hey i wrote this whole thing about like how cloud stuff in final fantasy 7 feels really right to me mm-hmm. right um, but like a lot of that is me like trying to acknowledge that like I am making a rhetorical leap, like I am understanding something through my own lens, and like I believe like I am grounding it in the text, right? Like I try in that in that article to like talk through things that happen in the game, things that are said to cloud, you know, like text mm-hmm. of the game, right? Um, but I think um, that you when you were talking about queer stuff, um, and I, I think it's something Autumn is aware of, but I think it's worth reiterating. Um, is that uh you know you have to ground like your own subjectivity and i i think stuff like i mean i i watched the like i mean lily wachowski has been talking about how you know she wrote you know the matrix somewhat mm. unintentionally but also somewhat deliberately right as as sort of a trans narrative right and i think mm. that stuff is like really gratifying to see and read but i also think it's it's important to know that you don't need that right you don't need the authorial voice to tell you what something is you can tell you feel about it you know the, the Matrix is a really interesting uh, point of comparison because um, with The Matrix, like, I, ha- I hadn't seen that movie since I was a kid. I watched it um, 2018 or 2019, I can't remember. Yeah. And it is just like, it, in the same way that uh, 358 is, it feels just like canonically that Neo is a, is a trans person. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like the most obvious thing in the world. Um, and we know now that on some level that is the thing that is happening yeah. here because of um uh forgive me i'm forgetting the wachowski sisters names. oh uh, lily um, and lana i think yeah um, yeah lily and lana like their experiences uh as trans people and on the flip side like you can kind of tell that um uh kingdom hearts is not supposed to be as queer as it is and i think it's very queer but I, it's not supposed to be because you have things like numura like intentionally designing difficult to cosplay characters because he thinks cosplay is a bad thing and <laughs> um 
Like, <laughs> Nomura tell- understanding queerness as RuPaul's drag race. You know? <laughs> no, well, it's oh. like, I think that's sort of the, the thing, right? And especially, like, because there's a lot of Kingdom Hearts stuff that's, like, very straight, right? Like, the way... Yes. The way, like, it assumes that Sora and Kairi should be together when, like, Sora and Riku have, like, so much more romantic tension, it, right? Like It's shocking, that they still think that anyone cares about Sora. And yeah, Kyrie. it is. It is remarkable <laughs> to me that like and like and the thing is like and like the the Aqua stuff in in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. There's like a scene where when she meets Phil from Hercules, he's like hitting on her in the way that he does in that movie, and it's like super mm. weird and gross and like the kind of thing I think if you were thinking about gender in a thoughtful way, you would just not have in your video game, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean that like again, I think like. That doesn't mean that people can't read or identify with like Aqua or any of these characters or read them. Like I think about Roxas a lot and think about Roxas as a trans character, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't. I don't mean to be like that is not a thing you can do and that's bad to do. I don't. I really don't think it is. I really think that's like productive and good. But I think you do have to ground it in what the text is saying and like how you are responding and like reacting against it, right? That like your criticism your reaction is a text of its own that you can like hold up and look at and try to work through right and i think that self-reflection is a really important element of like reading text in a queer way and that does not mean that it's like it does not have to be coherent right it can be destroyed and messy and strange and that can be like part of the joy of it is trying to find your way through that she she her roxas is very real in my heart and not real in the text of the game um (laughs) and and like, in some ways, I think of my own queerness as a distorted and messy and difficult-to-parse thing. And so, like, Roxas's queerness being distorted and messy and, like, literally, like, an, an, an untrue thing in some sense, like, makes it more powerful to me than trying to make some argument that canonically Roxas is a trans girl. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I think I, the text does not support this, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and... But um, I I could I could really go out on a limb and try to make that argument, but I just don't think that's interesting. Uh, yeah. As opposed to here are the feelings that I bring to it, and here are like the feelings that that uh, that I got out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I don't. Think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Cool. I was gonna say I don't know if you guys can pick it up on my mic, but there is like a thunderstorm that is literally shaking my house. It just oh came my out god! Of no, we're no, <laughs> not hearing it at all. Or like the not even uh, one bit. Yeah, like my girlfriend just came in to get her shoes to move her car out from the tree she parks under. Like, oh wow, just oh, out of shit. nowhere. <laughs> um, wow, it's but the, yeah, uh, cross my fingers, my power doesn't go out because that happens. Yeah, Sometimes well, we've we've uh, you know, I mean, we can if that's all the questions, we can. Oh, it just flickered. Okay. Oh, it flickered again. <laughs> all right, let's let's <laughs> oh try wrap up real quick because <laughs> you're still here, <laughs> and then we can um, uh, if everyone's cool with that. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, um, yeah, I guess uh, I, mean, yeah. I can get... Well, thanks for listening to Idle Talk. Um, well, Adam, why don't you do plugs first? Because you're, yeah. you're our very special guest. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, my main podcast that I do is Export Audio, which is pretty similar to this um nora and i um just kind of talk about whatever nora is my fiance um and we just kind of talk about whatever we have a the last two episodes that we did uh i think have been really good um they have episode 100 has evan jackson from the uh, abnormal mapping network on 
and uh, episode 99 is us talking about Sonic the Hedgehog's feet um, <laughs> and how Sonic the Hedgehog the 2020 film is crypto fascist um, <laughs> it's I also do and then an aeroplane which is a competing Studio Ghibli podcast well, I mean, uh, Grace oh. and I of course mortal enemies we, we only um, did a season it's not a <laughs> and it was only Miyazaki movies which, which I, if I'm gonna I'm gonna call a shot we are gonna do a Takahata season I think at some point um, good <laughs> but i'm gonna watch those movies before anyway because they're good um, um we we might also end up stealing your your whole thing because after we finish ghibli we might just do david lynch movies um oh, maybe Ooh. that that podcast is on a very brief hiatus just because uh and my co-host is uh getting like dental surgery this week and so yeah we're we will get to howl's moving castle in the near future while you're waiting for Howl's Moving Castle, uh, you can listen to Hot Singles, my new-ish music podcast, where my co-host and I each talk about uh, one album. Our most recent episode, we talked about uh, Car Seat Headrests making a door less open, and um, um, what did Regs bring, I swear to God, uh, Anoni's Hopelessness, which also has a really lengthy discussion about like how we experience queerness. Nice. Um, so... Um, uh, that episode will be out soon. We just recorded it. It won't take me very long to edit it. So, mm-hmm. uh, patreon.com slash export audio to support all of these podcasts. Yeah, and the Patreon casts are really good, too. Uh, for... The Patreon casts are super good. I'm not on most of them, <coughs> so I just get to listen to them, and I think they're really the, the best stuff that we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, Cole, how about you? Um, I'm at Cole underscore is underscore online on twitter you can check out um a lot of my what i write usually over at paste sometimes at fanbyte but mainly on my medium page is where i've been putting a lot of my essays lately um i just recently reviewed skater xl for paste magazine i'm pretty i'm really proud of that review it's a good review. Um, just Thank becomes you. it comes it just comes from a place of like intense familiarity with both like games and skateboarding um mm. and then I, re- I recently wrote a thing on Kato Lynch 2. I kind of went long on cruelty and the aesthetics of that game. Also proud of that piece. Yeah, so it's good. Check it I, out I think it's want. very, I think it's really neat. But also, I'm like, I, I really, you know, Cole and I are like best friends at this point, so I'm very biased. <laughs> but I could say on this podcast that they're good. Um, um, yeah, I don't have any, like, anything else really to share. Uh, start a new real job soon. Um, doing marketing for a grilling company, so maybe go buy a grill, make a burger. <laughs> yeah that's all i got there is absolutely the sky is un- unloading on <laughs> all right um, above my house uh so yeah so i'm uh grace you can find me at grace underscore machine on twitter uh i write on my blog grace and also i have a piece out in into the spine about final fantasy one which is a really cool video game and i talked about mm-hmm. why i think it's cool um yeah the piece rips yeah, and you can send us questions like the many fine people did on this podcast at questionsforidletalk at gmail.com. And you can also add us on Twitter at uh, idletalkpod. Um, yes, it's idle, at idletalkpod. Yeah. For, follow it for all things idletalking. Yes. Um, I think that's it from us. Thank you so much, Autumn, for joining us. It was a delight. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. This was a joy. This was a really yeah, good Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, <laughs> I'm jazzed on. about it. Yeah, this, um, me too. I'm stoked. Yeah, so... Uh, Thank you all so much.
we have here? You must be a new arrival. Let me guess. Fate of the undead.